0: Good morning. If you haven't noticed, I am not my dad. Um, I'm going to be preaching this morning from Mark chapter 10. Uh, But it's a beautiful day out, isn't it? One of the things that I love is sitting and reading with a coffee mug in my chair when it's snowing outside. And people who know me really well know that I like to read the same books over and over again, particularly Lord of the Rings. Okay? I love to read that over and over again. And one of the things that I want for my kids is to love to read the same sorts of books that I love to read, okay? And um, I wouldn't be disappointed in them or love them less uh, if they didn't, but you know, I sincerely want them to have that kind of joy that I have when I read good books. And I, I want them to, one of the things I love is to play sports and be out in nature. I hope that they do that too, I love to play music and to listen to music. I hope they do that too. I hate rap music, and I hope they do too. Um, you know, I, But my greatest ambition, my, my deepest hope in life, is to know God and, and to, to love him with, with all my heart. And when I pray for my kids, I, I like to picture them all grown up in the future, and, and I pray that God would make them like the saints of the Bible and that they would, they would have courage to live for him alone, okay? And I, I want them to have the same hope, the same ambition as I do, but even more so. And what I'm trying to say is that I naturally want my kids to be like me. Aren't all fathers kind of like that? They want, they want their kids to love what they love, to appreciate what they appreciate, to value what they value. And when parents and kids love the same things, they're brought close together, and they understand one another. And the reason why I'm saying this is that God is no different in that respect. Okay? He wants us to be like him. He wants us to be the spitting image of his likeness, to love what he loves, to care about what he cares about. And that's one of the reasons why in the beginning, God created human beings in his likeness, in his, in his image Okay? He wanted people to know him and understand him and to be the same as him. And But, you know, our race has increasingly been corrupted in our image. And because of sin, we don't resemble our father anymore. We take pleasure in the things that God hates, and we scoff at the things that he loves. And as a race, we've grown more and more distant from God until we've become his enemies, and strangers. And the human race does not know God or worship him as God. That's Romans chapter 1. It's forgotten what he's like. But that's why God sent his son, Jesus, that we might know him and become like him. Colossians 1.15 says, the son is the image of the invisible God. When a person looks at Jesus, they see God. Hebrews 1 says that he is the exact representation of his being. So do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to please him in all you do? God wants you to become like Jesus, to live as he lived. He loves Jesus so much that he wants more people to become like him. He wants to fill the world with little Jesuses. Okay, That was his plan from the beginning. And um, that's why Paul says this. This is uh, the message version of Romans eight twenty nine. It says, God knew what he was doing from the beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands for first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. This should be the greatest goal and hope of all of us, to become like Jesus. Jesus is the wisest, the bravest, the most humble, the most caring, the most genuine, the most real, the most loving person who has ever lived. I love this line from O to be like him. O to be like thee, the hymn. It says, O to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, This is my constant longing in prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Now, most of us want to be like Jesus. We want to be brave. We want to be wise. We want to be loving. But I think there is one characteristic of Jesus that's actually not so attractive to us, uh, that it would be easier to do without, I mean. And it happens to be the characteristic that Jesus insisted that his disciples imitate him in the most. And that's that Jesus was a servant. That is Christ-likeness 101. Jesus was a servant. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet, which was an act that only a lowly slave would do, this is what he said. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus was the servant of God who was above him, and of men who were below him. He was the servant of all. And if we're to follow in his footsteps, if we're to be conformed to his image, we need to start by becoming servants too. This is Mark chapter 10. And uh, at the beginning of this story, James and John come up to Jesus. You'll remember maybe they say, Tell, or, give us what we want, basically. We want to be Uh, sit at your right hand and at your left hand when you come into your kingdom. In other words, we want to be the most important people after you. And the other ten disciples heard about this, and they, they got upset. And this is what happened. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them not so with you instead whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many did you catch that that last part jesus did not come to be served but to serve Try putting your own your own name in there. Kevin is not here to be served, but to serve. Joe is not here to be served, but to serve. Jesus didn't come to receive service, but to give it, and that's what a servant is. It's someone who gives to others without expecting to receive. And when I look over Jesus' life, there's there's certain things that I notice. How he served by giving. Jesus gave his time. Jesus died when he was 33 years old. He knew he was only going to live to that point. How many of you are over 33? (laughs) You've already outlived him, okay? That that amount of time. Um, And you know what? It's interesting that he gave so much of his time. Gave so much of his time first to God in prayer and then to other people, to the to the poor, to the sick. He could have been off showing off his powers to the rich and powerful. He could have made a name for himself. But Jesus, the most important person who ever lived, gave his time. Many of us have no time to give. Okay? But Jesus gave his time to others. He prioritized people over projects. Second thing is Jesus gave his attention. You know, I, just think of, when you're thinking through the gospel stories, think of all the people that Jesus gave his attention to that other people ignored and despised. Think about the Samaritan woman at the well. How he, he even looked at her. A Jewish man would not have even looked at her. He looked at her and talked to her. And he's, she was the first person he told that he was the Messiah to. Okay? What about uh, blind Bartimaeus, the guy who said, Jesus... Son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody else passed by him, and Jesus stopped and said, bring him to me. He gave his attention to people, the little children, to people everybody else ignored. That's what servants do. Third thing is Jesus gave his riches and his comfort. You know, he he lived in, in heaven from eternity, and he gave that up. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says this, though he was rich... Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He gave his riches, he gave his comfort for us. Jesus gave his his glory and honor, which I think would be even harder, okay? He gave up glory and honor to be despised by men. This is uh, from Philippians chapter two. I'm sure you've heard this a lot. Who being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider himself, consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a slave. And the last thing is that Jesus gave his own life as a ransom for many. Okay, And not just, I think oftentimes we just think of his physical life. Jesus gave his future plans, his goals, his hopes, his dreams, all of it was given for us. Time, attention, money, honor, life. What we do with these things shows who we're really serving. Others or ourselves. You know, let's, let's evaluate ourselves with the standards of our Lord. Not other people. Let's evaluate ourselves, okay? Do we give like servants with our time, with our attention, money, honor, life? Do we use even our own lives to bless God and other people? Or do we live to be served? Remember, a servant is someone who gives to others without expecting to receive. Okay? Look at verse 43 and 44 again. Jesus says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. You know, Jesus was turning the tables here, okay? But he was also making a really obvious statement. Who do you think is greater, the guy who lives for his own comfort and his own pleasure or the person who gives everything, including his own, his own life, for the sake of God and for others? The latter, surely, is greater, okay? Only a very great person could be such a servant who gives without expecting to receive. Only a, a very great person could even desire that. You know, what Jesus is telling us is not that we should do acts of service every now and then, okay? He's, he's telling us to become the servant of all. And actually, that could be translated slave of all, and it is, because servant and slave were the same word in Greek. Being a servant is not a hobby, is not doing random acts of kindness every now and then. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's a, a, an ingrained habit that becomes a part of our character. And sometimes I think we mistakenly see service as a shortcut to glory and greatness rather than greatness itself. And what I mean by that is that we serve people in order to make them say, wow, you know, look at what they did. Look at the sacrifice that they're making. Look at how thoughtful they were. Look at the humility they have. But you know, that kind of service is just another way to receive rather than give. It's not real Christ-like service. Selfish service, okay, is all about rewards. It needs to know that other people see and appreciate the effort that they made. It seeks human applause, at least repayment of some kind, and it becomes resentful and bitter when it doesn't receive it. But Christ, real Christ-like service can serve without getting anything or any praise in return, okay? It can even serve in secret, other people. Selfish service is concerned with results, okay? It wants to know that it's doing something big, something important, but Christ-like service is serves just because there's a need okay they're usually small day-to-day things that people won't be amazed by they're usually simple selfish service picks and chooses whom it will serve it'll either serve people who are important so that they can become important and get ahead too or people who are poor and alienated because it feels like they're doing something very grand and sacrificial. But Christ-like service is done to all. And by all, I mean to your spouse, to your children, to your, your church family, to your friends, to your co-workers, to your enemies. When we go to Mexico on, a service tri- on the service, uh, mission, short-term mission trip, I tell the students that it's pretty obvious that we're not real servants If we give up one week of our year to go to Mexico and serve, but we make our mom clean up after us the other fifty-one weeks of the year, okay? If we're not serving them, them back, you know, Christ-like service is done to all. And the last thing is that selfish service is dependent on our moods. If we're tired, if we're stressed, we excuse ourselves from bothering with others. But Christ-like service does not use excuses to get out of service. And be selfish. It takes joy. It takes its joy in doing good to others. Real service is nothing but love. It's nothing but love. To love someone is to act for another person's good for their sake. To love someone is to act for another person's good for their sake. It's to humble yourself. And put other people's needs and interests above your own. To love someone is to become their servant. I think we have too limited a definition of service. You know, service is simply love in action. It's love being acted out, no matter what, how it's acting. It doesn't have to be building a house for the poor. It doesn't have to be some kind of physical labor though a servant would be willing to do that if it was necessary, okay? But oftentimes when we think of Christian service, we're we're only thinking about what we should do to serve, the actions that we should perform. But being a servant, being the servant of all, is less about what we do and more about who we are, our character. The person who has a servant's character will naturally act in loving ways that put other people above them. And so I have a list here of seven things that a person who has a servant's character will naturally do. But we often don't think of these things as associated with being a servant. So these are things that all servants do, but they don't often get labeled as servants. The first thing is that uh, servants listen to others. It does little good to a person's soul if you work for them, but you don't listen to them. We need to do both. We need to listen. The second thing is pray for them. You know, servants pray for other people because to pray for others is to genuinely care about their welfare. When you pray for someone, it's often done in secret. Okay? And it's a great service. And real prayer is hard work. Third thing is that real servants bear other people's burdens. And by that I mean they go into their struggles and into their pains instead of standing on the side. They go in and they, they join them, even if they can't help in any way. They bear each other's burdens. They're with them there. The fourth thing is that real servants, Christ-like servants, share the word with others. They share the scriptures with others. What else could could build up another person's mind and heart and soul so much as hearing the word of god servants encourage others by sharing the scriptures fifth thing is that servants guard other people's reputation can you imagine say we we're in the olden days and you know there's a real servant serving his master and he would every chance he gets he goes out and speaks bad about his master Okay. Would that be a good servant, no matter how good of service he performed for his master? No. True servants guard others' reputation. We should guard our, our spouse's reputation, our coworkers, our boss's reputation. Number six, all servants show hospitality to others. And by that, I mean they use the things and the talents that they have to meet other people's needs. And what happens is that their possessions and their talents just become tools to love people. You know, I, I've benefited by many of your hospitality towards me uh, and the youth group too. Very generous. I was thinking of I have I see the Holbs right here. They've they've let us the youth group come into their house numerous times, which always surprises me. We broke one of their doors once. Um. But they still do it, you know, they're using what they have to bless other people. That's what servants do. And the last thing is that servants do things for people that other people don't want to do, okay? They do things that others don't want to do. And it becomes, you know, it's a pain for others, but it becomes a joy for you when you're serving them. Um, and you know what? These are the ways that Christ served people, especially Number seven. He died in our place to serve us, okay? You know, we are called to be the servant of all. And that includes even people who will ignore our efforts or possibly even mock us for them, okay? And there is a constant fear when it comes to being someone's servant, Because there's always that question in your mind, what if they walk all over me? What if they use me? What if they just come to expect that I'll serve them and they don't even see it as an act of love? What if they just think that that's their right, that I serve them? To be the servant of all is a very vulnerable position. And I want you to remember two things, though. The first is this. Christ made himself vulnerable, and people did take advantage. People did take advantage of him. He suffered and was mocked by the people he loved. He was disbelieved by people that he healed, he was ignored by people that he taught, he was murdered by people he came to save. Now, I'm not saying that we should let people mistreat us. That's not good for them or for us. We need to use wisdom when it comes to that. But I'm saying that it's a hazard of the position of being a servant that you might suffer. But when you do suffer, you can rejoice because you are like your master. Second thing is this. Remember that when you're serving people, you're really serving the Lord. And the Lord is a gentle and a loving master who is quick to reward. This is what Colossians chapter 3 says. Slaves. And remember, that's, that's what we're called to be. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Remember, whether people see you or not, God sees and He's pleased. Whether people appreciate it or not, God appreciates and rewards. Whether people manipulate and abuse, God loves and is more than fair. We're so afraid sometimes of the sacrifice that it's going to take to actually be servants. Not because of the work that it's going to require us, not because of the time we have to spend, not because of the, the things we'd need to give up, but because of the humble attitude that we'd need to take on if we actually were the servant of all. But service is its own reward. David Livingston was a missionary in uh, Africa in the 1800s, before before Africa was uh, civilized as much as it is now. And he was honored at Cambridge for his service, for his sacrifice, for being a missionary all those years. And he gave a speech, and this is part of what he said. He said, "'For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice "'that God appointed me to such an office.'" People talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending much of my time in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward and healthful activity? The consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with a word in such a view and with such a thought is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger— now and then, with the foregoing of common conveniences and the charities of this life, they may, ca- they may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Maybe when your life comes to a close, you will have spent it all in sacrificial service to God and to other people, and you might not be honored and recognized like David Livingston. Maybe nobody will seem to notice. But like him, you will be able to say, it is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it's a privilege. You will certainly not regret any true service that you have done for God and for others. Do you think Christ regrets his service of us? No. Service is its own reward, its own blessing. It makes us humble. It gives us joy and thankfulness. Service de- destroys the power of sin in your life. Think about it. Can you imagine real what real service would do to immoral sexual desire? Can you lust over a person for whom you're a servant? How can you be envious of a person that you've purposely placed above you? How can you be resentful and bitter when you feel like nothing is owed to you? How can you be a a servant and be angry when your rights are ignored, when you've already given up your rights for the sake of love? Surely, people who really love who really serve God and serve other people for God's sake. They are the happiest, the most blessed, the most fulfilled people in the world. They're the ones who can say at the end, I never made a sacrifice. Let's pray. God, you've showed me through this that I need to grow in my service of you and others pray that you would help me and help this church to be servants like you i pray these things in jesus name amen and on that note let's stand and sing oh to be like thee